Section 10 of Some Answered Questions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Some Answered Questions by Abdul Baha Abbas. Section 10. 19 the baptism of christ question it is said in the gospel of saint matthew chapter 3 verses 13 14 15 quote, then cometh jesus from galilee to jordan unto john to be baptized of him but john forbade him saying i have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. End quote. What is the wisdom of this? Since Christ possessed all essential perfection, why did he need baptism? Answer the principle of baptism is purification by repentance john admonished and exhorted the people and caused them to repent then he baptized them therefore it is apparent that this baptism is a symbol of repentance from all sin its meaning is expressed in these words quote, o god as my body has become purified and cleansed from physical impurities in the same way purify and sanctify my spirit from the impurities of the world of nature which are not worthy of the threshold of thy unity End quote. repentance is the return from disobedience to obedience man after remoteness and deprivation from god repents and undergoes purification and this is a symbol signifying quote, o god make my heart good and pure freed and sanctified from all save thy love End quote. as christ desired that this institution of john should be used at that time by all he himself conformed to it in order to awaken the people and to complete the law of the former religion. Although the ablution of repentance was the institution of John, it was in reality formerly practiced in the religion of God. Christ was not in need of baptism, but as at that time it was an acceptable and praiseworthy action and a sign of the glad tidings of the kingdom therefore he submitted to it however afterwards he said the true baptism is not with material water but it must be with spirit and with water in this case water does not signify material water for elsewhere it is explicitly said baptism is with spirit and with fire 
from which it is clear that the reference is not to material fire and material water for baptism with fire is impossible therefore the spirit is the bounty of god the water is knowledge and life and the fire is the love of god for material water does not purify the heart of man no it cleanses his body but the heavenly water and spirit which are knowledge and life make the human heart good and pure the heart which receives a portion of the bounty of the spirit becomes sanctified good and pure that is to say the reality of man becomes purified and sanctified from the impurities of the world of nature these natural impurities are evil qualities anger passion worldliness pride lying hypocrisy fraud self-love etc man cannot free himself from the rage of the carnal passions except by the help of the holy spirit that is why he says baptism with the spirit with water and with fire is necessary and that is essential that is to say the spirit of divine bounty the water of knowledge and life and the fire of the love of god man must be baptized with this spirit this water and this fire so as to become filled with the eternal bounty otherwise what is the use of baptizing with material water no this baptism with water was a symbol of repentance and of seeking forgiveness of sins but in the cycle of baha'u'llah there is no longer need of this symbol for its reality which is to be baptized with the spirit and love of god is understood and established twenty the necessity of baptism question is the ablution of baptism useful and necessary or is it useless and unnecessary in the first case if it is useful why was it abrogated and in the second case if it is useless why did john practice it answer the change in conditions alterations and transformations are necessities of the essence of beings and essential necessities cannot be separated from the reality of things so it is absolutely impossible to separate heat from fire humidity from water or light from the sun for they are essential necessities as the change and alteration of conditions are necessities for beings so laws also are changed and altered in accordance with the changes and alterations of the times for example in the time of moses his law was conformed and adapted to the conditions of the time but in the days of christ these conditions had changed and altered to such an extent that the mosaic law was no longer suited and adapted to the needs of mankind and it was therefore abrogated thus it was that christ broke the sabbath 
and forbade divorce. After Christ, four disciples, among whom were Peter and Paul, permitted the use of animal food forbidden by the Bible, except the eating of those animals which had been strangled, or which were sacrificed to idols and of blood. Note Acts 15.20 End note they also forbade fornication they maintained these four commandments afterwards paul permitted even the eating of strangled animals those sacrificed to idols and blood and only maintained the prohibition of fornication so in chapter fourteen verse fourteen of his epistles to the romans paul writes quote, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. End quote. Also, in the epistle of Paul to Titus, chapter 1, verse 15, quote, Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. End quote. Now this change, these alterations, and this abrogation are due to the impossibility of comparing the time of Christ with that of Moses. The conditions and requirements in the later period were entirely changed and altered. The former laws were therefore abrogated. The existence of the world may be compared to that of a man, and the prophets and messengers of God to skillful doctors. The human being cannot remain in one condition. Different maladies occur which have each a special remedy. The skillful physician does not give the same medicine to cure each disease and each malady, but he changes remedies and medicines according to the different necessities of the diseases and constitutions. One person may have a severe illness caused by fever, and the skilled doctor will give him cooling remedies. And when at some other time the condition of this person has changed, and fever is replaced by chills. Without doubt, the skilled doctor will discard cooling medicine and permit the use of heating drugs. This change in alteration is required by the condition of the patient and is an evident proof of the skill of the physician. Consider, could the law of the Old Testament be enforced at this epoch and time? No, in the name of God, it would be impossible and impracticable. Therefore, most certainly, God abrogated the laws of the Old Testament at the time of Christ. Reflect also that baptism in the days of John the Baptist was used to awaken and admonish the people to repent from all sin and to watch for the appearance of the kingdom of Christ. But at present in Asia, the Catholics and the Orthodox Church plunge newly born children into water mixed with olive oil 
and many of them become ill from the shock. At the time of baptism, they struggle and become agitated. In other places, the clergy sprinkle the water of baptism on the forehead. But neither from the first form nor from the second do the children derive any spiritual benefit. Then what result is obtained from this form? Other peoples are amazed and wonder why the infant is plunged into the water, since this is neither the cause of the spiritual awakening of the child, nor of its faith or conversion, but it is only a custom which is followed. In the time of John the Baptist, it was not so. No, at first John used to exhort the people, and to guide them to repentance from sin, and to fill them with the desire to await the manifestation of Christ. Whoever received the ablution of baptism, and repented of sins in absolute humility and meekness, would also purify and cleanse his body from outward impurities. With perfect yearning, night and day, he would constantly wait for the manifestation of Christ and the entrance to the kingdom of the Spirit of God. Note, that is, of Christ, whom the Muslims frequently designate by the title of Ruhullah, the Spirit of God. End note. To recapitulate, our meaning is that the change and modification of conditions and the altered requirements of different centuries and times are the cause of the abrogation of laws. For a time comes when these laws are no longer suitably adapted to conditions. Consider how very different are the requirements of the first centuries, of the Middle Ages, and of modern times. Is it possible that the laws of the first centuries could be enforced at present? It is evident that it would be impossible and impracticable. In the same manner, after the lapse of a few centuries, the requirements of the present time will not be the same as those of the future, and certainly there will be change and alteration. In Europe, the laws are unceasingly altered and modified. In bygone years, how many laws existed in the organizations and systems of Europe which are now abrogated? These changes and alterations are due to the variation and mutation of thought, conditions, and customs. If it were not so, the prosperity of the world of humanity would be wrecked. For example, there is in the Pentateuch a law that if anyone break the Sabbath, he shall be put to death. Moreover, there are ten sentences of death in the Pentateuch. Would it be possible to keep these laws in our time? It is clear that it would be absolutely impossible. Consequently, there are changes and modifications in the laws, and these are a sufficient proof of the supreme wisdom of God. This subject needs deep thought. Then the cause of these changes will be evident and apparent. Blessed are those who reflect. 21. The Symbolism of the Bread and the Wine Question. The Christ said, quote, 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. End quote. What is the meaning of this utterance? Answer. This bread signifies the heavenly food and divine perfections. So, if any man eateth of this bread, means if any man acquires heavenly bounty, receives the divine light, or partakes of Christ's perfections, he thereby gains everlasting life. The blood also signifies the spirit of life and the divine perfections, the lordly splendor and eternal bounty. For all the members of the body gain vital substance from the circulation of the blood. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 6, verse 26, it is written, quote, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves, and were filled. End quote. It is evident that the bread which the disciples ate and were filled was the heavenly bounty, for in verse 33 of the same chapter it is said, quote, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. End quote. It is clear that the body of Christ did not descend from heaven, but it came from the womb of Mary, and that which descended from the heaven of God was the Spirit of Christ. As the Jews thought that Christ spoke of his body, they made objections, for it is said in the 42nd verse of the same chapter, quote, And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? End quote. Reflect how clear it is that what Christ meant by the heavenly bread was his spirit, his bounties, his perfections, and his teachings. For it is said in the 63rd verse, quote, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. End quote. Therefore, it is evident that the spirit of Christ is a heavenly grace which descends from heaven. Whosoever receives light from that spirit in abundance, that is to say, the heavenly teachings, finds everlasting life. That is why it is said in the 35th verse, quote, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. End quote. Notice that coming to him he expresses as eating, and belief in him as drinking. Then it is evident and established that the celestial food is the divine bounties, the spiritual splendors, the heavenly teachings, the universal meaning of Christ. To eat is to draw near to him, and to drink is to believe in him. For Christ had an elemental body and a celestial form. The elemental body was crucified, but the heavenly form is living and eternal, and the cause of everlasting life. 
the first was the human nature and the second is the divine nature it is thought by some that the eucharist is the reality of christ and that the divinity and the holy spirit descend into and exist in it now when once the eucharist is taken after a few moments it is simply disintegrated and entirely transformed therefore how can such a thought be conceived god forbid certainly it is a pure fantasy to conclude through the manifestation of christ the divine teachings which are an eternal bounty were spread abroad the light of guidance shone forth and the spirit of life was conferred on man whoever found guidance became living whoever remained lost was seized by enduring death this bread which came down from heaven was the divine body of christ his spiritual elements which the disciples ate and through which they gained eternal life the disciples had taken many meals from the hand of christ why was the last supper distinguished from the others it is evident that the heavenly bread did not signify this material bread but rather the divine nourishment of the spiritual body of christ the divine graces and heavenly perfections of which his disciples partook and with which they became filled in the same way reflect that when christ blessed the bread and gave it to his disciples saying this is my body and gave grace to them he was with them in person in presence and form he was not transformed into bread and wine if he had been turned into bread and wine he could not have remained with the disciples in body in person and in presence then it is clear that the bread and wine were symbols which signified i have given you my bounties and perfections and when you have received this bounty you have gained eternal life and have partaken of your share and your portion of the heavenly nourishment end of section 10 recording by nicholas james bridgewater recorded in oxford england